Hello, Radioland, Podcast Phil, and all the ships at sea. My name is Seth Greenland, and you are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by reader-supported Los Angeles Review of Books. Today on our show, we have Michelle Latiolet and Ryan Gaddis. It is a very Los Angeles-centric show, and my co-host, Tom Lutz, Lori Weiner, in a parenthetical, has a note from the nurse and has gone home. My co-host, Tom Lutz, has been wandering the world. He has not been in Los Angeles. Tom, welcome to the show today. I'm so glad to be home. Where have you been? Well, I went to the Jerusalem International Writers Festival in Jerusalem. How did that come about? They asked LARP to send somebody. I put together a committee, and the committee chose me to go. It was kind of a Cheney moment. Not only did you go to Jerusalem, you also went into John le Carré territory. Now, where would that be specifically? Well, I guess the most le Carré part of it was Nagorno-Karabakh, one of the charter members of the League of Unrecognized Nations. Tell our listeners where Nagorno-Karabakh is. Well, it depends on who you ask. If you ask Armenia or Armenians, Nagorno-Karabakh is an independent nation just east of Armenia. If you ask anybody in Azerbaijan, they say it's a occupied territory of Azerbaijan with a puppet government set up by the Armenians, the help of the Russians, and a kind of illegal state within a state. So it depends on who you ask. There's a great Lacarian novel. It's called Our Game, which is set of all places right there. Yeah. What's it like now in the post-Soviet era? Well, I've been in a lot of these former SSRs over the years, and a lot of them still have large Russian populations, and those are the ones that are causing trouble. Are they restive, these populations? South Ossetia and Abkhazia, both of which are now breakaway provinces of Georgia, have large Russian populations, also ethnically non-Georgian populations. And is Putin making mischief there? Putin has made serious mischief there. Did you have any sense of that while you were there last week? Well, I tried to get into both South Ossetia and Abkhazia and was turned away at the border by the army. On the basis of what? In both cases, there was no English involved. They kept asking me if I spoke Russian. I kept saying, niet. And eventually, in both cases, somebody came out with the word war. I asked the rental car company if I could take my car into Abkhazia, and he said, I'm sorry. You have made a mistake. You said Abkhazia by mistake. And I said, no. So I can't. He said, we have been at war for 20 years. You want to take my car to the country we are at war with? And uh, I said, so that would be a no. He said, you can park the car and walk into Abkhazia. I would not recommend it, but you could do that. But it turns out that I couldn't even walk into Abkhazia. Did you feel lucky they didn't let you in? No, I was interested to see both of them. Nagorno-Karabakh, which looks a lot like the Armenia right across the border, it's in the Caucasian mountains, a very mountainous place and very rural, not much in the way of cities at all, not particularly modern in any way. There was no sense that there was a war going on. There had been flare-up just the week before, and depending on who you talk to, somewhere between 80 and a few hundred people died in that flare-up. So it was a serious bit of hostility, but it was on the border, and I wasn't that close to the border. 
Now, more importantly, you've got not one, but two travel books coming out. And what I need to know is, will this Nagorno-Karabakh anecdote wind up in the third travel book? It will end up in the third travel book, yes. We'll look forward to that. By the way, I should say that this first travel book is just out, and uh, I am doing a reading at Chevalier's Bookstore on the 17th of June. And where is Chevalier's Bookstore? Chevalier's Bookstore is on Larchmont. What time is that reading? At 7 o'clock. You heard it on this show first. You can meet LARB founding editor Tom Lesson, author, at Chevalier's on June 17th at 7 o'clock. Shall we do the show? Let's. Michelle Latiolet has a new book out. It's called She, and she is here to discuss it. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. But she is not she, as it turns out. (laughs) Michelle, would you describe this as short story collection, or would you describe it as a novel in, in short stories? It's unusual because there's a recurring character, but all of the stories do not deal with that character. No, no. So it's associative, and... People can kind of call it whatever they want to call it, I guess. But my construction of it was associative, that there was a dialogue or music and that pieces would resonate with other pieces. And also that the stories, if you're going to call those stories, were a way of creating passage of time within she. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, why do you always have to do create passage of time within the piece that's actually being written, couldn't you create passage of time by nudging it up against other things? Mm-hmm. So, and I was very influenced by William Faulkner's The Wild Palms, which I'm told by the experts, the Faulkner experts, I'm crazy to love as much as I do. <laughs> but, you know, it's two completely different stories, novellas. But Faulkner wrote them. He wrote a little on The Wild Palms and a little on Old Man and a little on Wild Palms and a little on Old Man. And they're 12 years apart. None of the characters are the same. And they just resonate. And they just have, I think, quite a beautiful, associative, painful dialogue. And so I read that when I was about 14 or 15 and Mm -hmm. always held it in my mind as, well, that's a really interesting way to put a book together. That's interesting, because I would have gone with two other okay. classic American texts, one at Winesburg, Ohio, right. and the other in our time, yeah. right? Both of which have of similar structures. Exactly. In our time is a huge... It blew me away when I first read it, and I, I was really, you know, I was pre-consciousness when I first read it, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. You know, I had no idea what the inner chapters were doing, but it was like, this is an amazing way to put a book together, and it isn't all event. It isn't all on the surface. It's The connectivity is deep. It's not on the surface. Did you have a conversation with your editor about how you would frame the book? Did your editor have a, an opinion? He definitely has opinions, um, and it was his idea to just call it fiction. But it went to him whole, um, the way it is now. Other than the last four pages, that last section of she, there was this sort of idea that you couldn't end the book with promotion. So I had thought to end the book with promotion to sort of throw you back on yourself reading a book. When you say end the yeah. book with promotion, what could you explain to the <laughs> listeners what you, you mean? Oh, that story about when a book becomes the reader's book and no longer the writer's book. 
But that was far too clever to end the book that way, maybe. And plus, there was a lot of uproar from both my editor and Elizabeth Talent over you not knowing what happens to her, you know, where she's going to spend the night. They were adamant, you cannot do that to us. Hmm. So I wrote that last section after the book was taken. But uh, John Glusman was very just, he loved it the way it was, and I'm very grateful. And he was a really delicate editor. He pushed me on dogs. He just really dislikes dogs. And, um, <laughs> you know... And, Shouldn't be your problem, I feel. Yeah, well, well, and I just felt, well, no, it really belongs here. Wait. So, But I didn't know it would work. I first sent the, the collection to Elizabeth Talent and said, do you think this is even starting to work a little bit? One of your techniques, if I might, is you have very, very specific detail in your pieces, beautifully observed. You like often, not always, having an unnamed protagonist. And that creates an interesting quality because it's so specific and yet it's, you know, kind of free-floating because the person is unnamed. Could you talk about that technique in your your mind, why you use that? Yeah. I think it's just, if I'm going to be interested in writing anyone, I just want to be as close to their psyche as I possibly can. And so she, you're on the inside of a head. I mean, it's really quite technical. The minute you name a character, you're really on the outside looking at them. I mean, not necessarily, but kind of. The she just keeps me close, or he, really, any pronoun really, just keeps you close in on the head and inhabiting I know it's claustrophobic. Um, I know a lot of people resist it being so close. But you, but you is, didn't you didn't yeah. choose first person, right? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of a joke. Yeah, Oakley Hall asked me to rewrite even now in third person because it was so claustrophobic in first person. So I went away and I rewrote even now in third person. And then he laughed and said, "This is the closest third person I've ever read in my life." <laughs> <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and people remember my writing as first person always. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's how it plays in the, in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. I did not feel claustrophobic at all. I love being with she, with her. Thank you. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and we should say that it opens with this young woman. Yeah. Um, this is why we have the Beatles song uh, on, the, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, on the intro music for you, is that it opens with a young woman uh, running away from home at the age of 15. Yeah. And we follow her first hours in Los Angeles. Right. And that's the story that continues interspersed with other stories. Right all based in Los Angeles. Hence the my sense of Winesburg, Ohio, where Which I love, yeah. there's one story that recurs and the rest of them are kind of one-offs. A little bit of interaction here and there, right. little tastes of maybe this person is related to that person, right. little mysteries. But that story of this young girl. And one of my favorite things is that while she's running away, a policeman who's looking for her. Or not. We don't know for sure whether he's looking for her. Seems to be looking for her. Describes her and says, calls her fat as a seal. And Oh, that policeman is definitely looking for her. I was thinking of the other (laughs) one. With with the dog. Yeah, Yeah, fat as a seal. And then kind of gets set up for a certain, that being a defining characteristic of her Mm. self-image and her being in the world. And it simply isn't. And in a way, it, it never recurs. It just, she hears it again in her own mind at one point, thinks about it, and then we move on. And that's mm-hmm. never again part of her self-image. And so I felt that the closeness that I felt to her psyche was open and freeing and not claustrophobic. That is, she was not identified by the things that were happening around her. She 
kept an openness yeah. to experience that was, I felt, the opposite of claustrophobic. Well, thank you. Everything is so new to her. Plus, there's a quiet resolve or, you know, desperation in her. I mean, she's got to figure this out. And, you, you know, you said young woman. I actually think she's a girl. She's a girl. She's yeah, 15. She's, yeah. She, and she's not quite 15 even. All Plus, right. she's been raised... I mean, it's a perverse, maybe kind of cloister, but certainly it's a cloister, right? Mm. And so she's also very innocent in ways. But I kind of think of her as, uh, well, she's the innocent, but she's run away from home, and she, whoever she meets is going to define her immediate future. Right. So she's completely vulnerable. You know, that's, aren't we all? I mean, you know, exactly. <laughs> she's just a little bit more vulnerable than any of us are. But, you know, if she runs into a bad or evil person, then all bets are off. So she's a little bit, she's very much at the mercy of, of and and she, she does meet people who are basically trying to help her in some way. Mm-hmm. So she's lucky in that way, but... She also is picking, like Santa Monica sounds like a nice place, right. so she, she chooses yeah. to go there in the cab. She is using all of her instinct. That's all she has. There was that challenge in me of, could you send somebody to L.A. in this hyper-technological age, and could she survive? And mm-hmm. what wits would she need to survive with? And what could she make of very simple native intelligence, right? But knowing how to do, I think, things that we don't really honor that much, cooking and sewing and... Laundry. Laundry. Could she make it, right? You know, that was a bit of the challenge to me. This is Seth Greenland. I'm here with Tom Lutz and Lori Weiner. You are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, 90.7 KPFK-FM. We are talking to Michelle Latiolet, and we will rejoin that interview after this week's book recommendation. Let's listen. One of the best books I've read this year is a novel called All Involved by Ryan Gaddis, who was in here recently to talk with us about it. And just our luck, he came back to tell us about a book or books we should be reading. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Seth. What should we be reading? Oh, you have to read Gaddis' side. Why is it so great? You know, I think, at least for me, having spent as much time as I spent in South Central with with folks and, and becoming kind of imminently familiar with the decades of pain in in these neighborhoods it was I, I couldn't wait to read her book it's set in i think 08 and 09 in watts it follows unfortunately the murder of the son of a homicide detective and at the same time it's this dramatically incredible explication of murder in america and specifically how it affects young black males it's it's also a thriller i think you could say because we go from uh, the moment the young man is murdered, all the way through to the trial uh, for for the murderers, and it's uh, it, it's just it's really special. I, at least for me, had extreme significance, and I so frequently was writing true, true, true <laughs> next to things in the book. I also I, I can honestly say I think I cried more you know reading that book than I've cried you know in a, in a long time. And this, uh, this is a lifetime of research um, for her. I mean, it's a long, long. Absolutely, I believe she started the the homicide blog on the LA Times website. I mean, so she's she's been in and around these these areas doing her utmost to give stories to victims for a very long time. And it, and it shows. And you know, it, it's interesting because we talked when you were here last time about uh, what it means when a, when a white author writes about 
um, characters that are not white. And a, a black novelist said to me the other day that he was kind of pissed that the most celebrated book about Los Angeles right now, mm. about about black Los Angeles, is a, by a white woman. And it's an interesting it's an interesting ongoing question, the question of representation. Sure. But there's no question that she's kind of earned the right to speak to tell the story that she's telling. Yeah, she's she's put the time in. She's she's been there. Uh, you know, I I can understand, you know, where that perspective is coming from. Absolutely. But you know, my own opinion is just that if you if you give respect, if you represent, you know, as clearly and precisely as you possibly can and if you do the research, you know, it's really up to the audience to decide at that point. I don't see how fiction can survive if um, people can only write about people like them. Yeah. Of course, this is nonfiction. Um, no, uh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Never mind. All right. The book is Ghetto Side. It's by Jill Leovi. Ryan Gaddis, your book is all involved. I want to plug it one more time. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Let's rejoin our interview with Michelle Latiolet, shall we? You know, I ran away from home at that age and ran from Connecticut into New York City. And uh, of course, you did, Tom. Yeah, right. And uh, and I went to Radio City Music Hall and I sat through two showings of Up the Down Staircase. And then, Sandy Dennis. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out what, I mean, I really, I was like this girl. I was, I had no idea. I was in the bathroom in Grand Central Station and a man in a very loud suit just leaned over and said to me, you have a very large penis for a boy your age. <laughs> I had no idea. I said, thank you. But because uh, I understood <laughs> that it was, it was supposed to be a compliment, but I wasn't sure why that was a compliment. I, I, and only later realized that he was lying on top of it. <laughs> you know, Tom tells this story every show. I don't know if you're I am fascinated. To what I we want to do, read that book. <laughs> that's the tenth time I've heard that story. I want to read him. And then you're like, Dad, why did you follow me here? <laughs> but but I had some sense that I wanted to get away from that guy, and I, again, I wasn't sure why. Yeah. And I did. So I really, I, th I think that you handled that kind of sense of, I mean, she's navigating the city. I was navigating the city. Right. And she's navigating people that are getting thrown at her and that she's finding herself with in, in smart ways and completely unaware ways right. uh, at the same time. And, uh, and I thought that, that you just nailed that. Felt like I had run away from home again. Oh, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. I don't know if that's a good feeling exactly, but it was a, certainly an interesting one. Well, you ran away from home for a reason. Yes. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And it is interesting to me that you went to, you know, radio music. Radio music. I mean, that, that to me is, you know, it just seemed like... <laughs> that's you, Tom. I was, love that. It was, just, time. It, just, it was a place where you could hang and I wouldn't have to think for an hour and a half, you know, yeah. about, about anything. So did you ever run away from home when you were a young I did. girl? I did. At 14, too. Well, is that right? Yeah, the plot thickens. <laughs> or no, how, long, no. how long did you stay away? But four months. Oh, my gosh. Really? That's serious. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But, so tell us that story. Did so anybody not... tell you that you had a big penis? <laughs> God damn Just it. Wondering. No one ever says that to me. <laughs> Maybe that's better. <laughs> so. Michelle's come on the show to announce she's trans. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. 
I know I look like a Sunday school teacher, but <laughs> yeah, so, you so, don't you don't fool me one bit. Yeah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so what happened? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm sort of hesitant to talk about that because it's such a different story, and you know, not made of words, you know, and whereas she is made of words, and and maybe for different reasons. Uh huh. Um, but so certainly, her... I could not um, live, and I couldn't. I couldn't emerge in any way. So, um, and then you went back. I got returned. You got returned. You got returned. I got yeah. returned. Yeah. So, um, but then my baby brother figured out a way by which we could take all the extension classes that UC Berkeley offered, and we did, and we both graduated from high school at sixteen. Wow. Uh, and got out that way. And got out. Yeah. Yeah. So, but my experiences are very, very different than hers in the book. Uh-huh. Very, very different. Yeah, so I've and, used different material. But yeah. w- but your when you were kind of when you had yeah. escaped at fourteen, yeah. are any of these experiences that she has are any of them yours? Not really. Other than I had um, a job as a bus girl when I was fourteen in a beautiful French restaurant in Sonoma called the Overlay, and I cleaned it every Saturday and Sunday on my knees because everything was hand-done wood and hand-wrought wood, and um, so it needed to be cleaned very carefully. And I did that every Saturday and Sunday and then was a bus girl in the evenings, and I learned a lot, and I loved it. Plus, I made my own money, mm-hmm. and that bit of independence, you know, was, I can do this, and I will do anything. And I'm not afraid of cleaning toilets. And I did it. Mm-hmm. And I got out, you know. And so I do think there's a little... She's not as steely as I was. She's sweeter than I was at that age, you know, because I just had to, I just had to make it, you know. So, but she's a little more wide-eyed than I think I was. Even though I didn't know anything, I just was really angry and really going to get out. Um, so have you, have you written that experience? No, no. Do Are you, you going to write that experience? Um... I don't know. You know, it's so funny. I haven't thought about this in years. I haven't talked about it in years. Uh, I mean, very few people know this. I mean, well, you know, that's over. Yeah, you're right. That's over. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> How much of this can we edit? <laughs> so, but so, it's interesting. And I think, you know, as lives go, I mean, my God, you know, and I look at, you know, sometimes in order, after Paul died, in order to make myself feel better, I would say to myself, look, you're not a female in Darfur. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know? Yeah, and and right. so, you know, I think of my life in comparison with other lives, and I think, oh, please, you know, shut the fuck up. You know, stop complaining. Although I do too. I mean, it's part of yeah. a part of getting older, right? Is yeah. you, you just, you, the, these, these kind of tragedies right. that haunt you yeah. in your early adulthood end up you you either succumb to them or you right. don't, and if you don't, they right. become less important. Yeah. But that doesn't make it any less interesting a story. <laughs> I mean, mine lasted for yeah. exactly I think fourteen hours, so I don't, it's not really much of a story beyond what you've already heard. Um, <laughs> but forty days, yep, um, yeah, that's four, a, months. Four, four months, four months. That's a that's a right. serious amount of time right. for a fourteen year old to right. be out on the road. Well, it's so interesting to me that you, because I didn't know this until today, that you chose to, to to write about something close to your own experience, but not your own experience, right. Right. which maybe is uh, a way station on the way to writing about your own experience. Maybe not. But um, how did this character come to you? How did you first think of this character? I knew a little about Church of Christ. I knew a little about a, a, a friend's upbringing and other friends upbringing in Assemblies of God house. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a story in she, I think I put this story in, of 
he he was always mortified because at of course the women were to wait a dinner or wait on you on the men at at dinner or at any meal right and he said we would wait for my sister or my mother to sit down and then rattle the ice in our tea glasses mm-hmm. just when they were sitting down and he was so deeply mortified by what he had done it was all his upbringing of course but that mortification of the things we do because it's inculcation, that mortification and how do you get away from it. And, you know, I, I put something in the second section of She in which she can't quite get over this upbringing all in one fell swoop. Of course. Just by yeah. leaving, right? And so she does something. She rejects Julian Stokes. And, you know, and she will live with that. And even as the night goes on, that's, uh, I think it's in the background, but it's painful to her. So I just wanted to get it that deep mortification that we carry from an early, early age and never really get over. We're grooved by those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you teach writing at UC Irvine. I have the incredible luxury of holding my arms loosely around really good writers already <laughs> so, uh, and reading them. I'm not sure I teach them anything. Uh-huh. They teach me a lot more. I just try to read them really well, uh, you know, and I try to make them read a lot. You know, they always laugh about, don't go to Michelle's office if you don't want another book. Because she'll give you one. I will give you one, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I buy a lot of books so that, because I do believe in putting books in people's hands. So teaching writing, I don't know that one teaches writing. So, you know, I I like Retkeys, you insinuate it. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that program is is a great program that UC Irvine program, and it's put out a lot of great writers. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, half of our faculty at UC Riverside <laughs> have come through your program, and a lot of a lot of people that work at LARB have come through the program. Yeah. Um, Alex Espinosa yeah. um, yeah. was uh, one of our editors. Alex. So you, you're, you're clearly doing something right there. With, it's my cookies. She. <laughs> hey, you, you didn't say cookies. What kind of cookies? Now yeah. I'm signing up. She is the book. Go buy it. Read it. It's fantastic. Michelle Latiolet, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience. Except his own. Our crack production assistant, Ernesto Oraliano. Czar of scheduling, Ashley Bean. Associate producer, Jim Lane. Our robot overlords at Emerson College. (laughs) Find us on the web at www.lareviewofbooks.org. Download us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. Follow us on Twitter. For Tom Lutz and Lori Weiner, this is Seth Greenland, and we will see you next week.
Thank you.